the future of photography. Hey, hello everyone. This is Chris Marquardt. We're back with another episode of the future of photography. Uh, today it's just me and Jeremiah. Hello, Jeremiah. Hi. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. So we're recording uh, on what's well, it's almost two ends of the world. I'm in Germany. You're in California, in Los Angeles, and the edge of the ocean here in America. Ah, so nice. I'm in the, in the middle of a flat country, <laughs> flat countryside here. No ocean nearby. Me, I got, uh, they're still skiing at uh, Mammoth and uh, mm -hmm. surfing on the ocean. You can do both in one day here now. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> nice. That All right. will not include me today, though. Yeah. So we have, we've picked a, a topic that uh, I, I wanted to talk about for the longest time. And I think it's really of interest to both of us and maybe even for for different reasons so uh we want to talk about deep fakes and deep fakes well uh, we decided to to tackle this from like three different angles and the first angle that i would suggest is we look at this uh from a bit of a historic perspective first because we've all seen face swaps right um <clears throat> swapping faces out with another face um which used to be a very kind of tough thing to do and you needed really good skills to do this or photoshop or stuff and uh, originally we talked about still stills pretty much and um i don't know you you as a director um have you ever had to swap out a face in a in a movie, in a shoot, sure. I mean, uh, we do it all the do it all the time with um, stunts nowadays. Th that's what I mean. You I have mean, stunt people, yeah. and originally, stunt people would be facing away from the camera or would be small enough in the frame so you wouldn't recognize. But there must be some close-ups where you have to do something, and that's I think well, a pretty pretty difficult, uh, a pretty difficult effects thing to do. Yeah, now, now what we do technically, and there's a lot of ways to do it, but, um, you know, the best way to do it is to have the stuntman, you know, run his stunt. Generally, you don't use close-ups here, but, you know, you'd scan the lead actor and often any big, um, certainly any big effects movie would be banking a whole, you know, plethora of, of scans from your uh, lead actors, and then they just kind of pop it on. You can probably and, do it on your iPhone now. Yeah, and there, there are there are, <laughs> there are apps that do face swaps. Um, some better, some not so good. But right. the one the one thing that has recently emerged with all the machine learning, artificial intelligence, is what's called a deep fake, where you can pretty much take a, a lot of material from, let's say, a famous actor. Um, and there is a lot of material out there in interviews and and all their movies. So you have their face from all sorts of different angles and with different expressions. And an AI will learn that face. And then you take uh, another person and you teach that person's face to the AI too. And then the AI will take that famous person's face and put it on another 
uh, on another person. And it's, I mean, it, it's similar to, I mean, in a very, very, uh, advanced way, but it's similar to when you use Photoshop and you clone something over to something else and then you switch that brush to heal mode where it kind of yeah. adapts to what's already there. So the colors are the right colors and the, 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 the exposure is correct. So it looks much more realistic. And that's what a deep fake does pretty much. It swaps the face, but it also mimics the motion, but um, puts the face of that other person on there. Yeah, I think we are all kind of very focused on this right now because of, and we'll certainly get into this a little later in the uh, podcast, uh, we're focused on this because of its um, effect on uh, politics, social media, etc. But uh, I'm going to posit that photography itself has always been within its DNA part of a what we now would call deep fake, but fake nonetheless. Um, you know, retouching. You retouch a beauty shot shot in the. 30s Hollywood glamour shots. Is that a realistic uh, impression of the actress? Well, it's, uh, especially especially when you look at all the all the post production that has always been done to photos. Yeah, I mean, um, you portraiture have... portraiture in the 1920s. There was so much retouching back then, even. Yes, exactly. That's that's kind of where I'm going. I th I, I think that the very DNA of photography itself is and has a kind of false attitude that we adapt as somewhat truthful. And we've talked about this before, but so I, I think with the technologies advanced, you know, we, we tend to get more sophisticated about it, but I'm going to even kind of reduce it to um, how we take a picture of our family and we line everybody up and say, okay, everybody smile. People could be very miserable, horrible, and hate everybody else in that photo. And yet, by the way, I'm not talking from personal experience. So just to be clear, <laughs> um, but but when you when when that image is presented, whether it's to the family socially or elsewhere, um, everyone's smiling, everyone's happy. Are they really happy, or is that image a kind of fake? Uh, moment, the selfie um, culture, shall we say, um, is always about like, look how good my life is. Look are how you, wonderful everything is. Are you implying that those Instagram photos don't don't show reality? <laughs> is that what I, I hear? I, I'm going to argue that no <laughs> photography shows reality. None. Uh, of that, not. that even by changing the color of a sky, oh. we are adding to a kind of falsehood about how we see how we respond and everything is applying for aesthetic reasons maybe we consider it more beautiful but when we apply those shifts for social you know reasons in order to feel more significant or um, more important or to manipulate whether criminal or or uh, political um uh, I think all of it comes from just uh, a, a an understanding of the power of an image to manipulate. Right, and we, and we we see plenty of examples in in history, in the history of photography. Not 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 even retouching, but just just by 
where you point the camera, what you include in the frame, when you press the button, um, yeah. you, you will influence the story. Sure. So, uh, I, I, you know, uh, uh, just to add to that, um, you know, I, I worked as a fashion photographer for many years, and, and often the most um, exciting and, and incredibly looking, incredible looking models, if you see them with no makeup, not lit, uh, they kind of look, look very, I, I want to say plain, but not in a um, discouraging way. They, they just don't feel as kind of powerfully glamorous as what we create because of the way a certain kind of light bounces off their face. They reflect it in a great way. They're able to focus their energy and they use their, their bodies, their, um, you know, what they have to create a character that is not them. Mm -hmm. And what is that? <laughs> is it fake or is it real? Oh, I mean, we, we see the same thing in landscape photography. The, the photographers will go to great lengths to be at the exact right spot at the exact right time, come back there several days in succession to get the proper clouds. And then this... Uh, the whole post-production will then crank the colors and work on the contrast mm -hmm. and clone out things that don't fit in and so on. So the deep fake is, I think we can agree, just an extension of that. It's a, it's a technical yeah. extension of uh, what's already possible. And if you look at the different, uh, there's examples online and uh, we'll put a few in the, in the show notes, a few links to some videos of these face swaps that are out there. Um, one I found interesting, uh, it's a video by a group of uh, special effects artists called, uh, they call themselves the Corridor Crew, and they hired uh, a Tom Cruise impersonator. And then they, and he, he has the manners, he has the, the, the pretty good voice uh, for it. And, um, and then he, and then they put, Tom Cruise's face on that guy. And that is relatively convincing. At, at least uh, on a glance, you would be quite quite uh, surprised to find it is not Tom Cruise. Another one that I found even more impressive is a very subtle one. Um, I think it's on, on, uh, on Conan. Uh, Bill Hader is on Conan and he, uh, someone changed his, and he does a, a, does a Schwarzenegger impression. And someone took that video and put Schwarzenegger's face on Bill Hader and it is eerie when you see this because it he kind of fades in and out so he he fades from being Bill Hader into <laughs> Schwarzenegger <laughs> like seamless a seamless fade which is very very disconcerting so of course there's Can deep fakes be used as a force for positive change well i mean it spans a very very large spectrum and of course uh, the first time i got uh, made aware of deep fakes was in the whole context of porn pornography because of course the, you, you that's the first thing that happened is someone put a celebrity's face on a porn actress and uh, that that was kind of yeah a bit of a wake up call for some people cuz it made it clear that there is a lot of potential for, for that stuff. I think I want 
to look at both sides the potential for for it to be a bad force but also the potential for it to be a, a good force so yes certainly we we agree on that i mean if you take a stunning picture of the earth and it's you know manipulated using filtration choice of of time of day photoshop etc what we're doing is presenting uh, a, a kind of beauty of nature that uh, we could make the point that unless we preserve it, we will lose this beauty. Well, that's obviously we want to present the landscape in the most compelling way possible, right? Sure. Um, and, and, and so in this way, the more beautiful the picture, the more iconic, the more mesmerizing, the more fantastical, um, I think the more impact it will have for those who are kind of interested in that subject and interested in um, how they can respond either kind of emotionally or actually by doing something. So, y yes, um, I think there's a lot of positive. I myself use a lot of uh, constructed realities in my own work. Um, and that's just a creative process. You know, there, it's, it's kind of neutral. Um, I, I've seen, obviously, here we, we see the the kind of uh, dark side of it, which which I think is being um, used, abused, and manipulated. And soon uh, we're going to be able to, I, I think, have tools that will identify it. Will we have the right tools? Well, we don't know. And, and and that is the that is a thing that I'm maybe not as optimistic uh, as you are, and that is the the tools to to detect deep fakes. Because um, I mean, of course, it, it, there's a whole can of worms we could uh, open in terms of like how this is going to be used for political reasons and uh, to fan the, the whole fake news flames kind of thing. Uh, and then, of course, there are also people out there uh, who who are working on tools to detect deep fakes. So um, sure. the yeah. the thing that from a technical side is, if you look how this works, how deep fakes are created, they are created with um, what we call GANs, generational advers adversarial networks. So you have two AIs fighting against each other. One AI is. Uh, is trying to make this look good and the other AI tries to detect if it still looks too fake and tells the other AI why it's looking too fake. So that will the first AI will use that to, to train itself and become better. So these these GANs are how this works and they run through hundreds of thousands of iterations until they are good enough to um, to to fool the other AI. And then you take that adversarial AI out of the picture and then you only have the, the generative AI. That's how it works. So what, well, what someone says is we have, we have um, built a, an ad adversarial AI, one that can detect these, but that can then be used as an input to the generation side again. You well, know what I possibly. mean? Possibly. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I do. Uh, I know that there are um, technologies being developed that would be um, AI within cameras themselves, so whether or not we are even aware of it, that those uh, that photographs that we take and will have embedded, um, I guess, embedded pixels that when they are manipulated, uh, 
they will not be as easily manipulated. Mm-hmm. They'll stand out and therefore kind of create a, a uh, sort of, I guess, equivalent of an exploding pack of money if you rob it. Yeah, at, yeah. Uh, a bank, that kind of thing. And, and you're I mean, right. Th- I think there's going to be battles between the pros and the cons here. There, there have already been um, these these te- technologies to um, to use cryptographic signatures on photos mm. built into the camera so yeah. that it's hard to uh, to manipulate them without it becoming obvious and this is it, this has been used in uh, in a like uh, law enforcement context forensic for- context and so on where you really have to have kind of the proof now these systems are also being cracked we had uh, two examples of those maybe eight eight years ago Canon and Nikon both had their had their systems that they offer for that uh, cracked by by hackers. <laughs> I, Big <yeah>. surprise! <laughs> Big surprise here. Um, well, n- let's let's take take that for you know as it is for for a moment and just um, park it because those of us who are interested in the you know the technological approach to kind of uh, manipulation or counter manipulation uh, identification of of fakes or kind of the producing effects. All of this is going to be moot when you have a um, social media system that um, creates the environment where if you put out anything within, you know, a few hours of kind of global reach, millions of people could have already seen and reacted to it even before it's identified. So I think the speed of the meme, as it were, that goes out into the world is faster than one's ability, even on highly technical uh, machines, say, or machine learning. We can't fight it because I think that the, quote, damage will have been done. Right. And to that, I, I've seen, just recently seen, a potential solution. And that is... Uh, a kind of inoculation of people against fake news. Um, have you heard of have you heard of that? It's uh, Cam- Cambridge University has done that. Uh, they've built a fake news simulator, um, oh. which they they call this whole thing pre bunking. So um, <laughs> you, they make they make they had they invited thousands of people to play a game, a fake news game, where you um, you kind of step into the shoes of, of what they call a fake news tycoon, and your job is to smear your opponents and to <sighs> propagate conspiracy theories. And uh, the they they had people play that game, and after that they measured their susceptibility to. Uh, fake news and they 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 were much better in noticing what was wrong and i mean you and i um you 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 make hollywood movies uh i do some video production so we both kind of know how the sausage is made and um i don't think it makes us completely immune from falling for things but it makes us at least a bit more skeptical and uh, because we kind of know what's out there and what's possible, I think I think so. But we're also discounting people's uh, desire for a controversial uh, image, video, etc., that provokes reactions. The, so the, our, the outrage our, machine, right? <laughs> so, so I, I I do think that no matter 
how much we train ourselves to be versed in identification, I think that there is a, a kind of a, a knee-jerk uh, hopefulness of something outrageous that we see and pass on because it is something we've never seen before or something that reinforces a belief. And, and that is true, especially uh, when it comes packaged in a good story. Um, I've, I've just, I don't know, it's quite a few years ago, I saw a documentary or more of a mockumentary, but I wasn't mm -hmm. aware of it, called The Dark Side of the Moon, a French documentary. Um, and I watched this on late at night on TV uh, on my own, and it, it, the premise is Apollo 11, Apollo 11 footage um, was faked and recorded by the CIA with the help of Stanley Kubrick. Oh, I, I, that, I read about this. That's the premise. Yeah. And the premise is not that the moon landing was faked. Uh, the premise is that the, that the, the, the footage and the material that Apollo 8 brought home was unusable. So they had to stage it again. And they did it with the help of Stanley Kubrick on the set of 2001. So yeah. uh, that was a, interesting premise and I, I don't know how old I was I must have been 25 maybe when I saw this and it was it didn't use any any fakery in terms of face swaps or deep fakes or anything um, it was just a very well edited um, uh, documentary edited from a whole bunch of other sources and interviews in a way that the story just happened in your mind you know they didn't really say things they just uh, you would you would tell yourself that story and it took about three quarters into the whole one hour thing um until i finally woke up and went holy cow <laughs> this is awesome because to to that point for 45 minutes i sat there going that can't be that can't. i was so mesmerized by that story And by the brilliant editing they did. So it doesn't even take... But of course, it makes it much more convincing if you have someone on TV or in, on YouTube or somewhere say something and you can see them do it. Well, uh, again, I think that uh, those those documentaries and there's a, a whole school of uh, tinfoil hat wearing uh, nutcases who to whom everything is a conspiracy and and so any any provocation of quote proof unquote to kind of um, uncover these very highly sophisticated um, government cover-ups uh, is is something that that there's a culture of that of uh, course if you know government you know that they're incapable of doing anything as now, sophisticated. Now what I now what I what I didn't mention is that that mockumentary was built as a as an inoculation because in the end when you watch it all the way through uh, as, as soon as the credits roll they roll over bloopers. So they they they, <laughs> right, they so pretty they... much pull back the curtain at the end and if you yeah. if you didn't notice by then 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 you would notice and yeah. Uh, for some people, that came a bit as, as a bit of a shock. Now, we, we've talked about uh, the, the possible bad sides of uh, of these deepfakes, but 
let's look at the positive sides. What are, um, yeah, where 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 will that help us? Well, I, I, you know, I do think that that um, have you heard of uh, photo bashing? Photo bashing. Uh, photo bashing is is kind of well. If you let's let's just take an example. If you're editing someone's nose to be smaller uh, within Photoshop, that would be photoshopping an image. Photoshopping an image is you know doing a what we would consider a small adjustment. But photo bashing is uh, a requirement of multiple photos, whether they be actual photos or CG or whatnot, and pulled together to create something bigger than the sum. Like if you pulled, uh. say, uh, if you took a small-nosed head and merged it with a photo of a girl in a dress and then added, uh, you know, a magic wand and then put that in a mountain landscape, you would be photo bashing. So it's, it's pretty much a... a an extension of, of illustration work of creating something yes. new from uh, uncompositing yeah. work and creating something new from existing Correct. stuff. Yeah. 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 And, and it's something that uh, conceptual artists do a lot to kind of for presentation purposes, sure. but also it's a very creative uh, process, but it's also now uh, photo real. So it's very difficult to, uh, to even ascertain initially um that it's been manipulated because really hasn't been manipulated that much outside of our kind of normal techniques of, of compositing and adjusting and masking and layering, etc. So those are tools available to everyone. And you and and to 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 do some dramatic changes, you won't even uh, you won't yeah. even need Photoshop or anything. Just just the current example of Face App. You know, yeah. every, everyone adding 50 years on top of their age. And <laughs> the, the, yeah, it's, it's, it's getting easier and easier to do these things. Yeah. So, um, you know, was it you that wrote, wrote me that when your eyes lie, does human communication break down? No, I didn't say no. that. No, maybe I did. <laughs> in, in, in other words, um, And, and I think we talked about this a few weeks ago. It, it's it's really how the human response to a photograph, uh, having lived with photography since you know mid eighteen sixties or um, whatnot, and, and and we do have a a real emotional psychic response to photography, wherein we want to believe that it's real, unlike a painting, where we know it's a representation. We don't look at a photograph and say, oh, what a lovely black and white representation of something that was inspired uh, to produce this kind of reflectiveness in a zone system. So let me ask you, have, have you come across uh, special effects artists using deepfakes in film production? Is that already a technique that's being used there? Uh, well, all effects are deep fakes. I mean, that goes without saying. Uh, you know, um, if you look at even a, say, a new, the new Disney film Toy Story 4, you know, the backgrounds seem absolutely photorealistic. And the toys, 
uh, with their textures and whatnot feel photorealistic as well. Uh, and that's completely built out of polygons. So, so yes, that would be the kind of obvious animated kind of use of what we would consider a deep fake. But all of these are used, you know, Maya, Unreal Engine 4, ZBrush, etc. There's a whole pile of tools more emerging, um, ways of creating textures and, and objects uh, using photogrammetry, all of these things uh, put together in the right way and lit in the right way and then outputted to however the final use is going to be. All of those things we would consider deep fakes, um, I think in a movie like The Crow, after the lead actor uh, was accidentally shot, um, they replaced his head to complete the movie. I, that was the first time that I had heard of that happening, and that was, I think, back in the mid-early 90s, I forget. But... But that, but that um, was a whole lot of manual work. When we talk about deep fakes nowadays, we're talking about kind of an automated replacement of, of faces in uh, moving pictures. Well, yeah, that would happen. Uh, for example, you could track um, the motion through a frame and then manipulate uh, the mask over that person's face uh, when you have a... Um, I guess a digitized version of the real actor's face and a digitized representation of their uh, emotions, laughing, running, crying, scared, whatever, neutral. Um, and when you have Unreal Engine uh, creating these games, same kind of thing happens. I mean, you can go into these characters and you can adjust their, you know, their expressions. So then you would replace that the uh, the ai will will completely turn the head in the right directions and then artists will come and they will skin it to match the proper tones and then the other artists will come and light it to integrate the light quality on the face to match the environment and off you go and these things are getting faster and cheaper every single day so let's let's dive into the <laughs> into the question of this show. What does that mean for the future of photography and videography in this case? Yeah, I, certainly for photography, this is going to be a um, the seeding of mistrust of the truth. Aren't we already there? Uh, if we're not there, we're we're about to be there. Yeah. Uh, because I no, I, I don't think we're there yet. I, I, I really mean, don't. I mean, I, you, you see a lot of photos, and there there are a lot of initiatives out there to um, to reveal the actual photos behind fashion shoots, for example, um, mm -hmm. where models are like uh, take take ten pounds off of their hips with Photoshop. Mm -hmm. That's easy. Um, mm -hmm. So th there there is some uh, there there are some movements out there to bring back the realism and not as much editing. So so on that side, at least in, in fashion, beauty, uh, photography, I think we we already know, everyone kind of knows that those photos aren't as real. If we look uh, at, uh, there are several, several tumblers out there with photos of um, 
Instagram and if you Google Instagram reality, you will see a lot of like uh, 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 two photos uh, next to each other, the Instagram photo and then the real photo behind it, which is just uh, pretty much t a few steps back and uh, showing the entire scene without any retouching. So uh, I think people already know from most still photos that manipulation is there. Or do you think that there are enough people out there who don't? I think people are aware of it, but I don't think that has changed the kind of cultural response. Hmm. Um, I, I think more things have to happen. I, I, I'm aware that Cornell uh, has published a paper in their computer department, and it's called Content Authentication for Neural Imaging Pipelines. Hmm. And, and it's all about forensic analysis of digital photographs and how that works and how the analysis becomes unreliable after uh, post-processing. So, the, you know, the kind of built-in ways to, to kind of indicate that something has been manipulated uh, as opposed to something with a kind of seal of approval that this has not been manipulated or manipulated in the way that changes and this is important, changes the meaning of the initial image. I mean, we could look at a mountain peak gorgeously photographed. We could look at that same mountain peak in kind of overcast flat light with very little contrast. And we still understand that it's the same mountain peak with uh, aesthetic choices that have been made, whether it's in post or shooting. But the mountain range, we believe, is real. This goes a lot further um, when we look at a news photo, right? Um, are those real people? Um, is it a composite? Did this really happen? Uh, those are the kinds of things that I think people will want to be reassured so that their reaction to it is not misplaced. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, and I know at least at least National Geographic um, still requires their photographers to hand in raw files, <laughs> so they they want to make sure that uh, the manipul that there isn't at least not too much manipulation. Now we can look at something like a Nikon DSLR that has double exposure features, so <laughs> you can create a raw file with out, out of multiple photos in camera right. if you want to. But um, at least at least they're trying with um, the. The most basic means, and I'm pretty sure that they they are they, they are uh, ramping that up in the future. Yeah. Do you know about uh, four and six technologies? You know about ever heard of them? Um, the, uh, is it the company? Yeah, I, I, they're you know they're creating software that detects image manipulation oh, at okay. large, right? And and uh, they're used by. You know, World Press Photo, I read an article last month about how World Press Photo catches image manip manipulators. Um, and they kind of run through all of this stuff. Now, you know, they, they go, uh, you know, the content must not be altered. And they have a retouching, I guess, standard that you need to conform to, you know, and that they would go... Well, if you manipulate a little color, a little tone, but you can't materially change the image contents, right. like excessive toning. You can't turn oh. day into night, for example. No, yeah. that's right. 
And so these are things that I'm starting to kind of uh, see everywhere. I'm sure you are too, with photo editing technologies becoming more and more sophisticated, there may be a call or a cry for that, those things to embed a kind of true, true or false, uh, pix, uh, you know, pixel um, reveal within the actual image itself, so that, uh, you know, moving your cursor over, it will just tell you right away if you're on a screen. Um, I just think that we're in a very kind of uh, a, a period that's uh, an interregnum. We're we're in between. We're we're swinging uh, through the jungle. We have our our arm on one vine. We're reaching for the other, but we're a little afraid to let go of the other vine. So are we going to move forward? Or are we going to crash? The we bottom? haven't really found a balance yet. Yeah. No, we haven't. We we don't know because it's still news when something is deep fake. Um, as soon as deep fakes become, I want to say, the norm, that will change a whole lot of responses all through the political system, social media system, uh, artistically, certainly. Um, and I think change uh, our response to photography in general. And therein lies uh, a possible kind of tree branch tree uh, to discuss in terms of the future what will a and this is not for today but you know what will the photograph of the future look and feel like there's a lot to come um <laughs> but but let's let's end this on an optimistic note because um i, I want to briefly touch on the TechCrunch article that uh, that you share with me which I find, um, yeah, it makes me feel quite good because, because <laughs> I mean, they, they touch on the dangers, but uh, there's definitely benefits in technologies like deepfake. Um, and one is to make technology available to a lot of people that hadn't those possibilities before, right? Um, it, it, there's always been this... this This, this, the, the producing folk, the people who had access to the gear and everything, and now these kind of things can be done by uh, people who might be the most creative people on earth. They just didn't have a chance uh, to show that they were. And I couldn't agree more. Uh, I, I think the, the more, um, the easier the tools become to use, the better the technologies um, uh, become available. Uh, the more creative uh, people will be uh, about their photography. I think putting tools in the hands of the imaginative uh, will always create things that we've never seen before. And I think that is so exciting. Um, I personally am I'm just over the moon at seeing imagery that I've never seen before that has created out of someone's imagination using all the tools that provoke and use uh, what we know as the history of photography, you know, so we can look at Nadar and we can look all the way through Ansel Adams, Weston and all of that, all those classic landscapes right up to today and, and say, well, you know, I, I want to do a, a, an Ansel Adams 
style image, but I want it, you know, I want to move the moon. I want four peaks. I, I <laughs> whatever it is, um, the imagination that is, uh, allowed to flow is something that I celebrate. Of course, you know, the flip side is all of these things can be used for good and they can be used for evil. So how do you educate people on the difference between the creative use of something and the manipulative use maybe, of something? Maybe it, takes a, maybe it takes an entirely new generation to grow up with that and mm. kind of naturally know how to use it and yeah. how, to, how to judge it. Um, I, I think you're right. There, there's one one little tidbit that um, I found interesting. Apple is about to pull a deep fake on all of us. Now, if we define deep fake as as the, the modification of a face, and uh, that's um, uh, what they will be doing in the next iOS in iOS 13. Uh, do you know, you know the the situation you talk to someone on a on facebook or uh, on on facetime or on skype with a camera and people are never looking you in the eye they always look oh, yeah. at themselves <laughs> on the screen right yeah um, apple is going to change that in in facetime <laughs> with ios 13 they will manipulate your eyes so that you seem to be looking into the camera so the other person will see you look at them as opposed to look at the screen under the camera. Yeah, they will not really be looking they will at not, all no. of you. No, but, but it will feel like it. So that, 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 could, yeah. that could be an entirely it, new discussion in itself. It is. And that, I think that really sums it up beautifully it, so that it feels that it's the right thing to do, but it's a complete fake. Well, let's just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> the future of photography is a is an interesting beast, and we will oh, yes. will stay on its heels and <laughs> try to dig up these things. The one thing that we do know is there's going to be a whole lot of future left. Yeah, that's why we're doing this show. <laughs> so, Jeremiah, thanks for your time, and no everyone problem. out there, thank you for listening. We'll be back in a week with yet another episode on the future of photography. Um, visit us on. Twitter at uh, TFOPNOW, T-F-O-P-N-O-W. And we'll be back soon. Until then, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Future of Photography, a production by Adrian Stock and Chris Marquardt. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your other podcasts. Find the show notes and more information at thefutureofphotography.com. Mm -hmm.